because you're jumping back into the gut. Oh, let's hey, go. Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Coach, I really appreciate your support and sharing of the podcast. I'm excited to announce a new partnership that we have started and we are now presented by and supported by the outstanding team at risingcoaches.com. Aligning with a basketball brand like Rising Coaches has always been a goal of mine since starting the basketball podcast, and I'm grateful for the opportunity that has come our way. Rising Coaches provides access to the largest coaching tree in basketball. Through them, you can develop your craft as a coach, connect with other coaches and decision makers, be the first to learn about countless job opportunities on the exclusive Rising Coaches member site. Go to risingcoaches.com today to find out more and become a member. Brandon Payne is founder and CEO of Accelerate Basketball, an NBA player development specialist and the personal development coach for Steph Curry since 2011. Payne has personally trained over 100 NBA, WNBA, and foreign professional athletes and has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, CBS Sports, Bleacher Report, NBA TV, and many other media outlets. Accelerate Basketball also works extensively with youth basketball, and he is involved in the underrated tour created to showcase players like Steph Curry, who may be under the radar. Brandon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, this is exciting, and uh, there's a lot of ways we can uh, go. And obviously, everyone wants to talk about Steph, but uh, we want to make sure we focus on not just Steph, but shooting in general and youth coaching and development of players at all levels. But one of the great, uh, I guess, ways to phrase your job that I saw was calling you a caddy for a great golfer. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's when you've been with somebody for, you know, this is 12 years with Steph. When you've been with somebody that long, you really get a, you know, you get immersed. If we're using a pun there, we get immersed in his mechanics and, and you kind of know when things, you know, are are off just a little bit. And with with Steph at this point, you know, just by the flight of the ball, I can tell what's going on at his feet or what's going on at his ankles. You know, we, we do things from a shooting standpoint from the ground up. So, you know, my belief is that your hands are some of the parts below your waist. And uh, so a lot of times uh, when most people are watching the flight of the basketball, I'm watching your feet first. So, um, you know, just just cueing him and just reminding him of certain things, how his weight is uh, distributed underneath his feet, where he's placing power in his toes, um, just how things are, are looking sequentially up through his shot. Um, you know, we've got a really good, um, you know, we've got a really good way of communicating about that. And when things need to be corrected, we can make those corrections pretty quickly. Well, I love that concept of cueing. I think that's such an important uh, point for coaches to uh, dive deeper into. And that is this concept of when you teach shooting, it's actually detrimental to give feedback on every repetition. And can you talk a little bit about that process of not giving repetition, not just to Steph, but to other players as well? Well, yeah, you know, shooting and, and, you know, teaching and coaching shooting is, it's a very, um, it's a very individualized thing. You know, one of the things I tell all shooters and all parents and all coaches is that shooting mechanics are as individual as your fingerprint. And, you know, no two shooters are going to shoot the basketball alike. And, and there's so many things that go into the mechanics of the shot, uh, mainly uh, just, 
joint operation, you know, whether the joints can operate, uh, like I said, sequentially, or whether there's a dysfunction of the joint, or whether there's an injury history, or there's some asymmetrical power output, all those things go into shooting a basketball. And if you're constantly giving verbal feedback, if you're constantly picking things out, and most of the time, you know, the, the most feedback I hear is all about the finishing portion of the shot, you're missing the process that actually creates the shot. Like I said, the hands are just, uh, they're the sum of the parts and, and everything you do above your waist, typically for young shooters is all about, you know, compensating movement patterns for, for bad movement that's going on underneath their, their hips. So, um, you know, you've got to really watch and take in what's going on with each shot. And then, you know, about every five to 10 shots based off of the experience level of the player and the age of the player you can start to cue them or give them some uh, some mnemonic devices or some things to, to kind of remind them of, of what they're trying to accomplish. And, um, you know, but if you're doing that on every shot, you're going to, you're, you're going to end up banging your head against the wall because not a whole lot good is going to come from that. And, and the player is going to get frustrated and you're going to get frustrated in the process. And that's in part because shooting is as much of a feel as it is an actual mechanical operation. And uh, you talked about individualization then. With this cueing, is the individualization, is it like words and, and ideas that are specific to the player? Or do you find you use the same phrases or the same cues for certain players? Um, some of the cues are verbal, some of them are physical. So, um, you know, we use uh, mobility sticks and, and resistance bands and anti-rotation uh, cueing movements to sometimes help players remember uh, not to use thoracic rotation to compensate for poor foot patterns. Um, you know, there, there's other bands and there's other things that we use to give players some external stimulus to remind them of things. Uh, so cueing takes on a lot of different forms. Um, you know, most of the time uh, it, it's, it, it can be verbal when you've got a guy like Steph, but even last week when I was in Golden State with him trying to work out of that little funk that he was in, it was a lot of physical cueing. It was a lot of physical reminding. Um, and, and we, you know, we had pretty good success with it after we went through it. Talk, talk quickly about, uh, these training props that you've mentioned, not specifically what ones, but more in the concept of the problem with training props potentially is it becomes obviously a hindrance, you know, because this guidance isn't there in a game. So can you talk a little bit about how you remove the guidance as well as use the guidance in terms of helping the player? Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> It, 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 it depends on how intelligently you use it and your understanding of, of the, uh, the neural response to the stimulus and understanding that it's done in short bursts. So for us, when we use the bands and the uh, mobility sticks for the anti-rotation stuff, it's typically done in about a 10 second stint. So he'll shoot about five or 10 shots and then we'll go through a dynamic um, anti-resistance um, you know, uh, excuse me, anti-rotation resistance with a band with him holding the mobility stick vertically for about 10, 15 seconds. And then we go right back to shooting. So it's just a physical cue to remind him not to, to rotate. There are some things we do um, below the waist as well, especially if players are getting into a valgus pattern uh, where we use mini bands and things like that for, again, 10 to 15 second stints. And then you remove it and then you go right back to shooting. Uh, using tools in the middle of shooting, uh, you know, I don't do a lot of that um, unless it's absolutely necessary. But uh, but using things to, to do physical cueing, we do we use a lot of that.
So you mentioned feet first and feet being such an important part of the shot. Can you give us some examples of some of the cues that are important to you? And then maybe with that, do, do we care if the feet are square or not? Does that matter? It, it quite frankly depends on your, your ability to move thoracically. It depends on your lumbar spine. Uh, it, it depends on your ability to sequence from the ground up. I mean, it's, it, you can't say that this player should or shouldn't until you've really evaluated their movement patterns. Um, so it's, it's, it, it depends on the player, quite frankly. Um, you know, but some of the, the, the cues are important to us from a foot standpoint, uh, making sure that the shooter is always playing between their arches. If anything gets out towards their, uh, their fifth metatarsal, not only are you going to be at a, you're probably not going to make a lot of shots because your balance is going to be off. But number two, you're increasing your, your risk for injury. So for me, uh, loading the big toes evenly, making sure that your big toes are driving and loaded equally from side to side is very important. If one foot is loaded more than the other, uh, you're going to get into a lot of compensating movement patterns up through the shot. Um, so you're not going to be a very consistent shooter. Uh, so for us, that and heel height. So when you leave the ground, you want to make sure that both heels are leaving the ground at the same angle at the same speed. Uh, if you notice a lot of young shooters, uh, their heel height changes or one height, one heel is higher than the other at the start of the shot. So that means everything up the pattern is going to be off. So those are those are things that I'm looking for when we're looking at shooters. And then we have a lot of arch activation tools that we use uh, and arch activation drills that we use to help players start that shooting sequence correctly. So it's fascinating to hear you talk about the heels. So what you're basically referring to is that one one leg pushes harder than the other leg. So there's an imbalance. So it's, yeah, it's, it's asymmetrical power output. So one leg is driving more than the other. And a lot of times with a shooter, that ends up in rotational force. So you'll notice that hips rotate, feet, feet rotate, and then you get into this thoracic compensating pattern where they try to they try to correct the footwork issues with everything that's going on above their waist. They try to turn their chest. Um, there are some players that can do it. Stefan is one of them. Um, but th those players are few and far between. Uh, so you want to make sure that you're you're as sound as you possibly can be from the ground up as a shooter, uh, because if, if you're not sound from the ground up, again, everything you do above your weight is just compensating. Very cool. And with that, I've, I've I've seen you say the phrase in one of the articles, push the ground harder in reference to, to Steph, mm -hmm. right? So can you talk a little bit about that? Because that applies to what you're talking about. Yeah. So when we get into these extremely deep shots and, you know, the things where we're, you know, we're 30 plus feet away from the rim and we're taking those shots, the biggest cue to keep them from pushing the basketball or throwing the basketball is to drive the ground and to drive it vertically. So we talk to them about pushing the ground harder, not only pushing the ground harder, but make sure that he's going from his shoulders to his ears to, through the roof. Because sometimes when people drive the ground harder, they'll end up in this hinge pattern where their ears get in front of their shoulders and they're basically throwing the basketball. So push the ground harder, keeping your, your shoulders and your ears vertical through the roof. Uh, those are the cues we use when we get into those really deep shots. Uh, because again, everything about the shot comes from the ground. The rotation, everything comes from the ground. So just driving your feet in the ground harder is going to give you more range uh, and it'll make that shot sequence a little bit smoother. So to be able to keep the symmetrical push off of the ground, is there some simple, simple ideas that you can give us without any devices or whatnot that we can kind of <laughs> think about? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it really is for a lot of young kids, it's more about understanding how their foot actually works and doing some single leg balancing drills, just teaching them how to locate what we call their tripod, which is their big toe, pinky toe and heel, learning how to locate their arch through that tripod. 
Uh, we do things, and I, we still do them with stuff to this day. Very simple, just standing on one foot, just wrapping them around your waist five to six times in one direction, five to six times in the other direction, then repeating that same action with your eyes closed in each direction, um, just to learn how to use your arch to activate all of the all of the balancing tools that your body has within itself and doing that with both feet. And then anytime that you're getting into a strength program, you know, make sure that you're getting into it from the standpoint of, um, you know, getting a, a movement screen first, understanding where your imbalances are, doing a lot of single leg movements as corrective action is not. And then once you get through the corrective action, then doing increasing the load on the single leg movements to make sure that uh, you're not creating one leg stronger than the other. That That's a big thing with players, especially when they're in relatively uh, simply designed strength programs where they're squatting or, you know, heaven forbid if they're doing leg press or whatever. A lot of times those those imbalances are, are magnified by doing those types of movements because subconsciously they don't know it, but one leg is driving harder than the other. And that has a direct impact on your shooting mechanics. Shooters are made and corrected in the weight room. Bottom line, shooters are made and corrected in the weight room because movement patterns make shooters. And if you're if you're not doing things correctly there, uh, you're going to run into problems as a shooter on the floor. So uh, an awareness of the body uh, is a, is absolutely a part of it. Yeah, I mean th that's understanding how the body works sequentially from the ground up is paramount as somebody that is trying to help shooters make corrections. Um, if you don't understand what the joint above and below the joint dysfunction is responsibility is. You're going to have a hard time making long lasting corrections. You can make corrections that might last through a workout. You can make corrections that might last through a week or two. But until you actually address the movement issue, the poor mechanic is going to end up coming back. And um, so understanding how to make those corrections again off the court to, to perform better on the court is going to be it, it's it's essential to, to making quick corrections for shooters. So you've talked about this and you're just referring to it there too, this, this summation of joint forces, understanding how the body works together. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's an oversimplification, but it's basically that shooting should feel more effortless than effortful, Correct. right? Mm -hmm. So can you connect us a little bit with how you get young athletes to be able to understand that uh, beyond just, and again, if we think about it in a weight room situation, you're talking about them being able to understand how it's less effortful mm -hmm. to be able to lift or move their body. So can you talk yeah. about it in the shooting in the gym context, maybe? Yeah, so we talk about it from a shooting standpoint that the shot starts with your toes and it finishes with your fingertips. And there is no break in the action from the start to finish. It's, it's one movement and it's one, it's one sequential movement. And, you know, by explaining what is going on to the players at their ankles, at their knees, at their hips, and how their stomach, how, how to be vertically stacked through their core, so they're not getting into a hinge pattern or a hunch pattern while they're shooting. That's a big thing with young players, understanding vertically stacked core um, and just explaining what the job of, 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 every, um, uh, of every, every joint center is doing and what the job of the core is doing. I think it helps players be a little bit more detailed in their process on the court. The one thing that Stephen Curry does better than any other player I've ever worked with is he asks the best questions because he cares about the information. And once you understand what's going on, and this, of course, happened through our, the multiple ankle injuries that we dealt with early in his career, he really took the time to learn uh, about his foot. He took the time to learn about his ankle. I mean, specifically about 
the ligaments, tendons, and their function and their job and, and how it affects things going up the chain. And when you have a player that's that detailed in their knowledge, they're going to be detailed in their work as well. And so helping to educate your players on how they move and what correct movement feels like and looks like will help them understand how to be a better shooter and, and how to have that footwork flow and finish. You, that's one of the things you hear me say, like footwork flow and finish. It, it starts at your feet, it flows through your body and it finishes through your fingertips. Footwork flow and finish. And, and you've got to have those things, those components to be a really good shooter. But understanding your body is a huge part of that. So you've had this uh, advantage of working with the greatest shooter of all time, arguably. Uh, yeah. What have you learned from that that has made you a better coach of less effective shooters? Precision and not and not settling for anything less than precision and um, holding yourself accountable. Every shot matters. Um, there's no such thing as a wasted rep. Every shot is either taking you forwards or backwards. Um, and and competing, the importance of competition in shooting. You know, I, I've gotten to the point out of where we don't do just any shooting around anymore. Now everything we do is is competitive. Everything we do is either against a score number or against time. And um, you know, you have to feel that little bit of competitive pressure on every shot, and you have to hold yourself accountable uh, when when you don't succeed within your your shooting uh, competitions. And um, you know, finding ways to continue to layer on difficulty um but the biggest thing you know th that we've that we've really started to do is understanding the value of doing heart rate match shooting uh you know understanding that the value of low heart rate shots is pretty low uh you've got the match game heart rate in order for those shots to really have value in, in workouts so um just trying to recreate the game environment as much as you can uh in workouts without putting a lot of extra miles on your player's body um, and finding creative ways to do that has been a big, a big part of, of how we've been successful every offseason. Um, and I think that, you know, we've, we've still got a long way to go. He's not going to be done anytime soon. So we're going to continue to evolve and, and try to stay one step in front of him. That's a hard thing to do. Uh, but we got to continue to find ways to challenge him and be competitive. It's awesome. You mentioned, obviously, heart rate, heart rate, math, this, this, your heart's intuition, and then being able to replicate that in game condition. And I know you also reference breathing as something that's extremely important to you. So can you, you give us some perspective on how breathing is so important to shooting? Yeah, I mean, well, it's important. First off, from being able to get that heart rate to come back down, you know, in timeout situations or free throw situations, uh, we go through some diaphragmatic breathing exercises with them uh, several times a week, whether we're actually loading the diaphragm or whether we're uh, we're doing some specific exercises where we're giving them breathing patterns to work through on a stationary bongling drills. Breathing is a big, big part um, of of our success with, with him being able to get that heart rate under control in game situations. And um, and for us, um, you know, the diaphragm really has to be the primary driver um, of your breathing patterns, because if you get into a situation where your core muscles are really helping your lungs and helping your breathing patterns, then they get a little bit weaker for your shooting mechanics. So if your core muscles get fatigued from, you know, aiding the breathing patterns, they're not going to be able to do their job quite as well when you're being a dynamic shooter. Your vertically stacked core kind of starts to, to crumble a little bit when your core starts to get weak. So making sure the diaphragm is, is doing its job to free up the core muscles to do their job from a mechanic standpoint is very important for us and it's something we pay attention to. Great stuff. And uh, it, you mentioned already this competition and, and applying competition to shooting. 
but I know something else is very important to you is that you don't want to have, you know, these block repetition of shot after shot yeah. from the same spot. You're a big believer mm-hmm. in random practice at all levels, not just Steph mm-hmm. Curry, but at youth levels as well, which is a point Correct. that I want you to emphasize for us. Yeah, you know, and it and it doesn't have to be wildly variable, right? It, it just adding variability into your shots. So with our young players, you know, I've got two sons. I've got a 14-year-old and 11-year-old, and, and they're really good shooters. But even with their workouts, you know, it, something as simple as we, we call it working in ladders. So we work, you know, in either a three- or four-run ladder. Uh, you, you can start with a two-run ladder where it's literally just one step in, one step back, one step in, one step back just to add some some variability to it because it, it's not very difficult for shooters to get really grooved at one range. And once the shooter starts to get mechanically grooved at one range, they do start to lose touch and feel at other spots. And so to add just slight variability to, to what you're doing, um, it, it goes a long way into their ability to continue to develop touch. And touch is something you have to work on constantly, constantly. It comes and goes just like anything else if you're not touching on it and and doing drills and things that uh, are going to help you uh, achieve a better touch on the basketball. So not only that, but also, you know, variability from how you're picking up the ball and shots off the dribble, whether it's a right-hand pickup, left-hand pickup, crosser when your leg's behind your back. Um, you know, we work in, in multi-angle variability as well. So with Steph, you know, we, we, call it, uh, we call it shooting the face of the clock. So if you're looking down on the clock and and Stefan's the middle of it. We've got something we can do to get to three o'clock, nine o'clock, six o'clock, 12 o'clock, one, seven. You know, we can get to all, all points on the clock, creating space and getting shots off. And we do that. Uh, we work in that, that variability like that to where we're not moving him a lot, but we're also not allowing him to stay at the same range. And we're forcing him to be dynamically stable as a shooter, which mimics game conditions as well. So it goes back to being vertically stacked, not getting into extension or flexion through your core, staying vertically stacked ears over shoulders. Well, I'm glad you made that point about uh, it doesn't require us to have them come off of a hundred different oh, no. screens to make it random and variable. It's just a little and, bit of variation. And I would argue that that doing a whole lot of curl footwork, pop footwork, fade footwork at a young age uh, continuously, it, it might not be as productive as you would like for it to be because those are difficult mechanically mechanically difficult shots for a lot of young players. So making sure, you know, of course you've got to mix it in some, but you've got to make sure you're getting quality reps, not only with the shot, but with the footwork and the movement as well. And for players to do that over and over and over again is, is difficult. Uh, number one, their work capacity just isn't there to, to be dynamically stable like that in those footwork patterns. Uh, but number two, it's, it's a, it's a quantity, uh, quality over quantity type thing. You want to make sure you're shooting high quality shots, not just a high number of shots. So in order to be able to get your, your rep ranges up in the higher numbers, just doing simple variability stuff like three run ladders where you shoot a 17 foot, 19 shot, 19 foot shot, 21 foot shot, and you go back down the ladder, just doing that and going to a specific number, you know, for us, it's, we, we do a lot of stuff where we say, you know, if you, <laughs> we don't let anybody shoot anything less than 70% against the air. I, you know, I just don't believe if, if you can't make seven out of every 10 shots you shoot against the air, that there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, so we do three rung ladders to seven out of 10. If you don't get seven out of 10, then we're going to do the ladder again. Um, and then we move on to another one. And it also speaks to the game changing, right? There's, there's very few players that shoot the ball like Steph anymore in terms of coming off of screens and curling and shooting. And it just isn't as big a part of the game anymore. 
So that might indicate that it's a more of a late development skill for shooters anyway. So at the young age, we should focus on more step into the shot type of shots based on that. Well, so I, you know, step in is, is okay, but we, we teach a lot of vertical footwork uh, because the game has become a space creation game. And if we always have shooters that are always one, two to the basket, then they're going to, have to create even more space because if their final step is always to the basket, whatever space they, they just created, they're going to eat one step of that on their own. So we teach a lot of, of one, two step, but we do it vertically, basically where the feet are replacing itself. And then we teach one, two laterally, one, two away, and then one, two to the basket. Uh, but, but teaching variability in that one, two step to me is very important. Also working on a, on a two step, uh, a, a two, a hop catch is important. Um, but you know, I like to make sure we stay away from creating momentum shooters. Momentum shooters to me are, are shooters that always have to be one, two to the rim as a shooter. So working through vertical footwork is important because again, as the game becomes more of a space creation off the dribble game, you make it harder if you're always having to finish to the basket. Like, cause like I said, you're eating the space that you just created to get that shot off. Uh, so making sure that you're, you're becoming a vertical shooter is, is important. Well, it's great because that also applies what you talked about with the feet, which is this action reaction, you know, the laws of physics and Newton's third law mm -hmm. where you're driving your feet. And if you're doing that long step into it, you're losing that. And the quick one, two, which is what you're talking about, mm -hmm. getting your feet down, that helps you keep this momentum that you're talking about, correct? Yeah. And, and with, you know, we do a lot of film with young shooters where we do a vertical one, two step where we literally, we want your foot to, to, to go right back where it just came from. We don't want to step forward at all. We want to make sure that you're vertically stacked from your ankles to your knees, to your hips, to your shoulders, to your ears. When we get to full extension, when you get to triple extension, um, and, and we don't want to see you moving forward a lot. So we want to teach you how to get power out of the ground vertically to get that shot off. I've always talked to I've always talked to shooters about that you don't you don't shoot quickly. You prepare to shoot quickly. And can Correct. you talk about those components of preparation that are so important for shooters? Absolutely. I mean, if you know, when you're in, in catch and shoot situations, you know, the, the shot is made and the space is created before you ever catch the basketball. And that's the one thing that Stefan has done so well and so effectively as a relocation shooter in the NBA is a lot of times the space that he creates to get a shot off is, is created on the other side of the floor. His change of pace, his ability to be physical, his ability to bump and release on one side of the floor and then come off screens on the other side of the floor is is a lot of what's made him effective as somebody that's doing that. So if, if you're waiting to do your, your work right before the catch or if you're trying to do your work after the catch, you're making your job very, very difficult. And um, so understanding change of pace, understanding how to be physical, understanding court geography and how the ball moves in your offense is a big part of shot preparation. So there's a high IQ element that goes into shot preparation. And then, of course, catching with your hips loaded, getting your thumb under the basketball and getting that thing up and out quickly uh, that becomes just the finishing component of doing your work before you catch it. Um, so yeah, it's, it, you know, shot preparation is, is a huge component of, of a successful shooter and, and something that, uh, I don't know if enough young players value. I don't know if, I don't know if they understand why to value, um, you know, cause so much now they see is off the dribble, uh, and they don't realize how difficult that shot is yet. Well, that's a step problem for all of us too that uh, the shot off the dribble has become such a such an important part of the game so maybe, maybe let's go to there then uh, let's talk a little bit about shooting off the dribble the footwork the ball pickup anything else that stands out for you yeah I mean you know when you're shooting off the dribble it's again it's it's 
it's a reaction. So and it's something where we're reading and reacting and Steph has three main reads he makes on every defender. And, you know, basically the defender takes something away and gives something up and, and the reads are the defender's nose where the defender's nose is in relationship to the middle of the midline of their body. Uh, and of course, hands and feet, their hands are down. There's a shot there. If they declare a high side foot, we know which hip to attack. Uh, but basically we're just taking what the defender's giving because everybody wants to take something away. And every time you take something away, you give something up. Uh, but not only that, not only understanding what's going on with the defender in front of you, but understanding the help concept behind the defender. Because sometimes uh, if there's a weak help concept behind the on-ball defender, then you know you can make a move as a shooter and actually draw the help closer and create an opportunity for a teammate. Um, so shooting off the dribble is is not only a, a very effective tool for a guy like Stefan as a scorer, but it's also a very effective tool for him to get other guys open because of the gravity of him off the dribble really changes how people play defense and it creates opportunities for other players on his team. And he's really learned how to use that as an effective ball distribution tool as well as a shooting tool. Um, but it, it is, it is a difficult thing. It is um, there, there's a lot of strength involved in being a, an effective shooter off the dribble. There's a lot of strength involved in, in being able to create space laterally or, or stepping back. Um, and again, being, being sound mechanically when you get to that landing point, then, um, you know, creating that clean sight line, which is you know, all those components are things that a lot of young shooters, I don't think completely understand. Um, there are some young players that are very gifted and, and they're physically more advanced than other players at that age. And, and they can do it. I see it, you know, on the weekends when I'm, when I'm with my kids playing, there are some kids that absolutely can, but the vast majority cannot do it well. And the vast majority are introducing mechanical issues by continuing to try to do it well when they don't. And it kind of goes back to it. If you're doing if you're shooting that that step back against the air, that side step against the air, and you can't make seven out of 10 of them against the air, it's probably not something you should be doing in a game. And, you know, I would argue that there aren't a lot of kids that are shooting that shot against the air at 70, 80% clip. I wanted to take a brief pause from the podcast today to tell you about the pick and roll offense course on basketballimmersion.com. An NCAA Division I coach texted me last week telling me that he joined basketballimmersion.com and took his first course. He told me, and I quote, the pick and roll offense course was tremendous. So many creative ways to categorize pick and roll concepts and make the teachings better. I cannot wait to watch more videos and complete more courses. Your learning will never stop as a member of basketballimmersion.com as there are 25 courses with more coming each week, over 600 videos, and now over 70 master classes on special topics and so much more. Get one-stop shopping to stimulate your coaching. Get access at basketballimmersion.com and support not only your coaching, but this podcast as well. Thank you for being part of this community. But uh, that's a different story. Uh, you said, I want to make sure I get this. The three main reads, you said nose, the hands and feet. What was the nose, one? hands and feet? Yes. Nose, hands and feet. So oh, those, okay. those, are the so those all three yep. together. Okay. I got you. Yeah. Just want to make sure I get that. And then, so when you're talking about shooting off the dribble, it, it was it's the one, two footwork that you want the same as what we talked about in terms of vertically shooting. Well, no, I mean, it, then to shoot off the, the, the bounce and like that, I mean, you've got to be able to land on two occasionally. Sometimes you're, you have to go through what we call a backwards footwork pattern. So instead of being a, a left-right footwork pattern guy as a right-hand shooter, sometimes you're going to be right-left. Um, you know, understanding that sometimes that one-two step is going to be backwards instead of forwards, it's going to be to the side. So it, that's why you have to work on so much footwork variability in your workouts because in a game, you know, getting to that same one, two step is going to be very, very difficult. Um, the, the big things is for us, again, is to make sure your nose stay behind your toes, your ears stay over your shoulders, 
you don't get into this hinge pattern or this really defined fade pattern. And what a really defined fade pattern is, is when your ears get back behind your shoulder and you actually shoot a faded shot. And if you do shoot a faded shot to make sure you're fading straight back and not fading at an angle, if you fade at angles, it changes the entire mechanic of the shot. Fading straight back just changes how long you hold the release. Um, so those are the things that we talk about when we're, when we're talking about being a dynamic shooter. I'm just going to say this again. There's no perfect form and there's no one perfect footwork. And that's really what you're saying. There needs to be variability and understanding of all the different types of footwork because you're going to apply them in some way. And it's like I said, every shooter is as individuals as fingerprint. There's no, you know, shooter A versus shooter B can have the same level of effectiveness with different footwork patterns. They can also, you know, they can have things they go to um, that are completely different and have the same level of effectiveness. The biggest thing for me is making sure that players have what I call mirrored footwork, which means if you can do it in one direction, you got to be able to do it going in the other direction. So if you can, you know, if you can hit a sidestep jumper going left, left with your left hand and a left step, you got to be able to do the same thing going right. Because intelligent teams start to pick up on those patterns. Intelligent coaches start to pick up, well, you know, he doesn't shoot very well going to the right. So, you know, as long as we just force him back to the right side, let him take that sidestep right, he's probably going to miss. So. And young players don't understand the power of scouting and, and how much scouting can take away from their strengths when their strengths are really narrow and they're focused. When you have mirrored footwork, your strengths can be very broad and things are very difficult to take away. So making sure you're working on whatever you do going left, you got to be able to do going right. And uh, for a lot of right-handed shooters, that sidestep and step back is much more comfortable going to the left side just because it's a more natural pickup into the shot pocket but you've got to work through things that are uncomfortable in order to get better going to the right side. Because again, you know, intelligent teams and intelligent coaches are going to start taking your strengths away from you sooner or later. Last part on shooting off the dribble, then just to dive a little bit deeper in terms of the actual ball pickup, are you teaching anything specific in terms of hands and how to pick up the ball, say off the right dribble versus the left dribble? For us, we don't like to be right-hand reachers. So for me, I like to make sure that the ball is brought from the left side to at least the midline of the body to get it up. I know it's, it's, it's difficult to get it all the way to the right, completely to the right side on the pickup. But as long as you're getting it to the midline on the pickup point, we're, that's important for us. Big things for us is the path the ball takes on the pickup, specifically when it goes between the legs and behind the back, to make sure you're not having to reach back to pick the basketball up on those moves. So making sure when you go between your legs, instead of going under your butt, you go under your knee. It's a shorter path to the basket. So it's going to be just a shorter path to the pickup. Uh, so just paying close attention to those things. So that's what we use our stationary ball handling for is really to work on defining that ball path that we really want it to take up into your shot. So everything you do from a stationary ball handling standpoint has to be done in the context of shooting. And um, and that's how we that's how we work through it. Well, and, and I'll go there because I want people to understand because I, I I can under I can guess that this is the point is that a lot of the pregame warm up stuff we see Steph doing is really about comfort, you know, having him be confident and he having him be comfortable. But um, in your workouts, you're trying to challenge him constantly to struggle yeah. and fight through it, right? Well, th- there's a lot of overload in his pregame warmups too. That's designed to be a a neuro activator. And, you know, so, yeah, there's some comfort there, but um, you, you've got to make sure that there, there's some overload and some stimulus within that warm up to make sure that, that you start to get the brain firing, the brain and body firing together. Um, you know, can, especially can you give us an example of an overload so coaches understand yeah, what you're talking about? Two basketballs. <laughs> two basketballs is an overload. And so the, the point of that is to 
is to overload what is normally one ball with two basketballs, and it, it causes a greater response from the brain. And, and that's what we're trying to do. You, your brain has to be warmed up just like your body does. So the overload uh, aspect of that is huge. And that's what you use two basketballs for. That's what you use tennis balls for, is to overload what is normally uh, a one-ball movement with something additional uh, to get the brain firing at a higher velocity, a higher speed. Um, and once you do that, then you get the brain and body firing together and things work a little bit smoother. It's also a big, um, basically, you know, the, the term neuroplasticity, the ability for the brain to warm up and it, it you know, absorbs and, and executes things at a higher level. That's a big part of, of what you use that, that ball handling over, overload for as well. Um, you, we know that that peak level of stimulus within the brain typically lasts 20 to 30 minutes. So on a workout, if you're going 90 minutes, you probably go through an initial stimulus. Then about 25 minutes into it, you go through another 90 seconds to two minutes of stimulus. And then another 30 minutes later, you go through the same thing just to keep the brain really active and, and making sure that um, the player is engaged. So that's what that stuff is used for. And you have to have a higher understanding and you got to be able to look past the drill to understand why you do it when you do it, because the why has to be bigger than the what. If you don't understand why you're doing it, you probably shouldn't be doing it. The why has to be larger than the what. And we have to know why we do what we do in order to win. And, and that's a big thing for us. And, and we know, you know, we understand that the, the drills and things are designed to make sure we get as much out of every single workout as we can. And again, we have to do it in a way where we're not putting a lot of additional mileage on his body. At this point in his career, we have to really value every step he takes with the value every dribble he makes. We have to value every shot he takes. And they all have to be moving us in a direction that's going to help us stay, stay at peak levels for as long as we possibly can. And to use science um, and technology is, is a really effective way for us to put metrics on things uh, to make sure we're continuing to move in a positive direction. So fascinating hearing you talk about neuroplasticity and obviously the adaption and response to experience that happens over time. Maybe give us a perspective on how you train towards that for younger players, particularly yeah. relative to what you mentioned already is trying to get these corrections to be permanent. So moving yeah. from retrieval practice to permanent. So with younger players, it's a little bit different because the skill level is lower. So you have to be careful of adding too much stimulus to where the, the overload is so great that they can't even execute the most simple form of the overload. So it, it's really, it's a building process. Um, you can't take, you can't, I, I see it all the time when I'm at these tournaments. Yeah, I see people trying to take um, kids that struggle to dribble the ball with their left hand and they're trying to put them through a tennis ball drill. They're trying to do a two ball drill. And I'm just like, you know, that's, it's not really productive right now. Um, you know, so for that kid, because they're still struggling with one ball, the way you would overload that is you would use a heavy ball. You would use a heavier ball to overload that, that simple movement of, of just drilling a ball with their left hand. And, and typically when you're trying to acquire a skill, you're going to go two to one contrast the load. So, if you had the player dribble the heavy ball 10 times in their left hand, you would contrast that with a game ball 20 times. So it's a two to one ratio to, to acquire the skill. Um, and, and that's kind of the formula that we follow with overload and contrast of skill, uh, specifically with ball handling. Um, you know, you've got to you've got to acquire the skill before you can you can start to load it. And then you start to load it 
uh, a little more and a little more. And, and with Stefan, we load it in a lot of different ways. Now we have light technology. We have we we put you know we have things we do on an iPad with him. We have things that force him to to think. We have things where he's doing something and all of a sudden we'll yell out a breathing pattern where he has to change his breathing pattern. Um, you know, we're constantly throwing stimulus at him to overload what is what is becomes easy for him because you do adapt. You do adapt to the stimulus. You do adapt to the overload. So you have to constantly start to add things on there to make sure that you're still in that activation phase. Least anyone think it's simple to coach a player like that. I mean, it's we we know it. Like it's impossible to replicate the game conditions in which he plays in a practice mm-hmm. setting. And that's why you're talking so much about overload and throwing different things at him to be able to increase the demands on someone who's that good. Well, not only that, but we're also working on his processing speed mentally uh, in game situations. You know, he controls the game and he has to make so many decisions on the floor that we constantly have to challenge him mentally with a ball in his hands. We have to make him think we have to force him to make decisions. We have to force him to change and react to the information that we present to him uh, in stationary settings, because that, that helps him in game situations when something changes in front of him, you know, when, when all of a sudden a ball screen coverage changes or, you know, there's a switch or, you know, there's a, there's a matchup he wants to get to uh, for somebody else. You know, those are things where he's got to make really quick decisions. He has to see it. He has to process the information. He has to react to it. And those are the things that we're trying to um, replicate in his workouts. And and I think we do a pretty good job of it. Well, it shows in his results, obviously, too. And uh, on air, you've mentioned a few times shooting on air. You want this seven out of 10. So can you talk about what the next progression is beyond that in terms of overloading them once they get good at on air? Well, I mean, so we start with, with shooting against air. Obviously, catch and shoot is 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 kind of your base, right? And then we go to a right hand pickup. So, I mean, that would be your your first progression is picking the ball up with your right hand off the ground. Then we go to a left hand pickup, and then you know we go from a right hand pickup with vertical footwork to a right hand pickup getting one two downhill. Then a left hand pickup getting one two downhill. Then a right hand pickup with a right lateral side step. Then a left hand pickup with a left lateral side step. Then a right hand pickup off of a right foot step back, and a left hand pickup off a left foot step back. So you you start in the most simple form and with the most simple movements, and then you start to add again those variables and making sure that all right, if you can make seven out of ten catching and shooting, can you make seven out of ten picking it up vertically in place? Well, now can you make seven out of ten getting downhill? Can you make seven out of ten going to the side? You know, so adding that variability while maintaining your standards, while maintaining your personal standard as a shooter of making at least 60 to 70 to 80%. I mean, some players are 80% shooters against air. You know, you've got to establish your your baseline and you've got to work from there. Can everybody start off by being a 70% shooter? Uh, for some young players, their standard when they first get started might be four out of 10. And then they've got to build themselves up to where they're catch and shoot five out of 10. I would argue that I wouldn't get heavy into variability until you are shooting right around that 60 to 70% against the air on the catch and shoot. Now you can get into variability in terms of shooting at different ranges, but variability in terms of pickup, variability in terms of being dynamic movement until you're really shooting at a high clip catch and shoot and shooting at a high clip catch and shoot with, with variable range. I wouldn't get too deep into uh, being dynamic uh, because you're going to, you're just going to end up chasing your tail and, and you're going to end up trying to make a lot of corrections and, and you're going to go down a tough path there. 
Well, and the challenge, of course, is before they even get to a lot of those those areas that you mentioned there, they're already playing games. So they're mm -hmm. already getting confused by what happens in a game with their shot. So can you talk sure. a little bit about that process? Well, I think that, you know, with young players and, and young kids, you know, one of the most effective things you can do is, is you got to watch the film with them and you, you, you got you to gotta have them watch themselves play. Because, you know, the one thing that I've always heard from players and I hear from my sons all the time when I'm pointing something out to them within a workout is, well, I don't feel that. You know, I don't I don't feel that I'm you know, it doesn't feel like I'm doing that. But when you when you show them the film and you show them, well, no, you are throwing the basketball or no, you are not getting square or, you know, you are shooting unbalanced. Um, you know, the, the eye in the sky doesn't lie, you know, and, and when you show them the film, it gives them that visual feedback that sometimes they need to make themselves a little bit more coachable. And, you know, coachability with young players is a huge part of, of becoming a better basketball player. And you're not going to get a lot of buy-in from young girls and young guys a lot of times until they actually see the things that you're saying they're doing on film. So, um, you know, we all have iPhones now. We all have a, a smartphone. And as a parent and as a coach, you know, grabbing, um, you know, grabbing that game film is just, just even if you're just filming the possessions that your child is in the game, um, just grabbing that game film and going about going back and watching it goes a long way because then, you know, if something's going on where as a parent or a player, you can't figure it out, well, at least you have the game film to go show a professional, go show a trainer, go back to show your coach. This is what's happening in a game. What should I do to make the corrections here? How can I avoid this? But but none of that happens if you're not capturing the footage. Well, and I'm, I'm wondering, too, if you give them perspective on the fact that there will be a reduction in success from, as you said, some of these seven out of 10 goals to a game condition. And that applies to Absolutely. Steph, that applies to everyone, right? Sure. The reason we pick seven out of 10 and, and we pick 70% and 80% because you typically shoot about half, maybe a little less than half of what you shoot against air in game setting. So if you're an 80% shooter against air, you know, you, you'll probably be around a 40% shooter in game settings. If you're a 70% shooter from the perimeter against air, you're probably going to be hanging out around 35%, 30, 35% in games. You know, if you're shooting less than 70% against air from the perimeter, then you're probably somebody who needs to be driving the basketball to the basket. Um, you know, I think that that it's important to, to help players understand that, you know, even if you're not shooting at an extremely high clip right now, there's still other ways for you to be successful in the game because, you know, discouragement comes in very quickly. You know, uh, confidence is fleeting with young kids. It, it comes and goes almost from shot to shot. Uh, so making sure that we're pointing out that, you know, even though this isn't going the way you want it to go right now, there are other ways for you to be successful in this game until your shot comes around. There's other ways for you to impact the game until you are shooting the ball better. And then there's some people that never come around to shooting the ball very well but they're good screeners. They're good ball handlers. They drive it. They finish. They, you know, they hustle, they, they defend, uh, they're high IQ players. You know, those, there's still ways to be very, very good basketball players, very effective basketball players, even if you're not a knockdown shooter. And I think it's important for young players to understand that there are roles in this game, that, that there are important roles in this game that lie beyond scoring the basketball. If you do, and when you do, uh, when are you introducing contested or one-on-one -on -one or offense versus defense type shooting drills? Well, I mean, it, it, it kind of comes along with that. Okay. Now you're, we're doing things at least somewhat dynamically and making a good number of shots. So, 
not putting huge combinations together. But once you get to the point to where you can do like a simple sidestep and knock it down, okay, now we're going to really start to, to challenge you a little bit. And we, not, we might not put live defense against you, but we might put some dummy defense out there where they're just getting a hand up. Um, for the catch and shoot stuff to contest that, while players are still going through that phase, we do a lot of using, um, you know, we, we use something to block their vision. So we have the defenders and, and all those things where players are working on catch and shoot to where we've got something in their vision, but it's not a live defender. Um, but like I said, once they start to get to the point where dynamically they're able to make some shots, we'll start to put some hands around them, start to make them feel uncomfortable in landing. That's another thing, being a dynamic shooter is learning how to land. And uh, as a shooter um, for, for high school, college, and, and pro players, I, I'm really big on players understanding that your shot is not finished until that ball goes through the rim. So how you land matters. It, it matters in a big way because if, if your landing is correct, a lot of times it'll kind of reverse engineer some mechanical quirks that you, you can develop through the season. Uh, and it'll, it'll keep you, you know, it's an accountability tool for you to keep yourself mechanically sound, making sure that you're landing correctly. And, and a big part of that is making sure you're creating enough space to get off a clean look. So you do have a clean landing area. So there's a lot that goes into that. So can, can you talk a little bit more detail about landing? Do you want them to hold their spot, hold, hold generally, or does that matter landing. as much? I want you to land on two feet. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm big on that um, because it, I don't know where it became popular or when it started to become popular for guys to start landing on one foot. But, um, man, I see a lot of that. And uh, I see a lot of it at all levels of basketball. And, it, and it's kind of kind of funny to me. I mean, typically, if you land on one foot, it means something didn't go right in the, in the mechanical process of getting that ball up uh, into the shot pocket and getting it out of your hands. Um, but, uh, but yeah, landing on two feet with Steph, he gets a little bit more leeway than most. Um, you know, I, we well, shot I, I about still, a billion more shots than us coach. So I guess he has, but, he but has. the back pedal after he shoots, right. That, that kids tend to think that's a good thing too. Yeah. And I'm not a fan of it. I mean, I'll no. tell you, he'll tell you, he'll tell you, I'm not a fan of it. And there's still, even to this day through this season where Steph and I've had some extended conversations about landing, well, you got to land a little bit better. You got to land a little bit cleaner. Uh, and you have to value your landing. And, and the biggest thing is working with intent. Uh, so when you go through your, your workouts, when you're going through your, your, your daily workouts, your pregame shooting is, is understanding, you know, reminding yourself, I got to land. I got to land, land and finish, land and finish. And it goes back to footwork, flow and finish and not being lazy about your intent as you go through a warm up, not being lazy mentally as you go through a workout understanding that every part of the shot has equal value and you have to treat it as such and um you, you just you know you have to work with a high level of detail to be a really good game shooter it's just there, there's no way around it. um and, and understanding you know every part of the shot's important and paying a high level of attention to it is, is a big factor in how much better you get well i'm glad you said that every time i talk to a player about their landing they point out steph curry backpedaling so I can now say that as his trainer agrees with me. <laughs> I can tell you that as his trainer, as somebody that's seen him shoot more shots than anybody not named Del Curry, um, <laughs> the rules don't always apply to him. He's Absolutely. special. He's different. Um, he can get away with things that nobody else can. Um, you know, he is not the template to use um, because a lot of, 
how he shoots the basketball in games has been as a result of what the defense does to you at the NBA level. Um, if you go back and watch him as a college shooter, wasn't doing a lot of that. <laughs> he didn't have to do a lot of that stuff. And Coach McKillop wasn't really a guy that was going to allow him to do a lot of that stuff. Now he had a lot of he had a green light and he he got some leeway, but you know we had to get very creative at the NBA level. We, had, we you don't have a choice because that six three guy that was guarding you in college just became six seven. And oh by the way, he's faster and more athletic and jumps higher than the six three guy as well. And you know, so the length and, and everything changed. But the one thing that did not change is the size of the court. So the court essentially shrinks when you get, you know, with bigger, faster players. So your creativity and how you create space uh, becomes a premium product for you because you, you've got to be able to do it to get shots off. If you're just going to try to rely on the offense to get your shots in the NBA, especially when somebody's got you marked as a shooter, it's never going to happen for you. And, you know, so things like him, embracing the role of the screener he's a great screener great screener understanding that if you screen for somebody a lot of times you get open and then when you do have the ball in isolation situations where you can't just take one step here or one step there to get a shot off you've got to set the defender up with something and you've got to be able to read and get away and get away and, and land and um with him uh, i mean you know been a little bit of a battle landing thing because he had some injuries early in his career from people getting in his in his landing space. So it is something he still thinks about. Uh, so, you know, that's why we have that, that, that constant landing reminder for him. That's great. And uh, you mentioned Del Curry. So obviously a great shooter in and of himself. So I'm wondering, I know you've had these conversations. More than great. Yeah, more, <laughs> more than, than great. Yeah, one of the best of all time. Arguably. So again, you've had these conversations probably with him. What are some of the things that you took away from what he did with his, you know, his group when he was younger that uh, has, has stood out to you? You know, the, the one thing I've tried to take away from Dell is I've, I've you know, I, I just admire how he parents those guys. You know, he's, just, you know, he had all this success as a player and, and man, he's, he's, his hands, it's surprising. And I try to be more like him as a father. I try to be a little bit more hands off with my kids and it's a battle I fight, but you know, he's, he's kind of mastered the, the hands off approach and, and letting them be pros and letting them, letting them kind of go through their own journey. But, you know, the one thing that that we've taken away from him and Stefan is Steph already knew how to be a pro before he got there, just from being around his dad. And his dad had to work constantly because he was, you know, he was a good athlete. He was a great shooter, but he wasn't, you know, keeping his spot in the NBA off of being an athlete. He was keeping his spot in the NBA for as long as it did, being a great shooter. So seeing what it took day in and day out to shoot the ball that way. And I've heard Dell talk about how he had to find creative ways to to be more competitive within his own workouts. That, that's, an, a, that's been a big driving force behind what we do. And, and even, you know, we've had Seth in some workouts with us as well. And when you have both Curry's and the workouts, you know, the, the shooting competitions can go for a long time. We end up in a lot of match situations where, you know, nobody misses for a while. So you, you see that competitiveness and that, and how important the shooting competitions are to them because they realize they need that game. They need that game pressure on them shooting against air in order to make it valuable. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing, you know, I think that I took away from talking to Dell is, is how important when you're working against air, it is to feel game pressure and to have, you know, accountability measures in place to where if you don't succeed against that game pressure against air, you've got to, you've got to, you got to have a consequence. You've got to have something in place that, that forces you to really appreciate uh, making shots against that game pressure. And, um, 
So I think that's what I've probably taken away from Dell the most. The problem is those shooting competitions screw up workload management, don't they? <laughs> a little bit. It's, it's funny you say that. Yeah, I mean, there there are some times where we're kind of looking at uh, we're looking at the the output we're getting from some of the technology. You're like, you know, we should probably stop right about now. But you know, you're not going to stop those guys in the middle of the shooting competition. You're gonna you're gonna let them finish. But uh, but we you know we've gotten better at using technology really at at um, it, it really starting to pinpoint when workouts start to hit diminishing returns now and the NOAA shooting system has been a big help for us from that standpoint and, and being able to track the basketball and being able to plot where the ball is going in the rim. Um, you know, it, it really helps us understand when he's hitting a point of fatigue and when it's time to stop. Well, I have to ask uh, some of the things, maybe some of the takeaways about developing creativity and touch around the rim. Cause I think that's the other mm-hmm. remarkable part about Steph is just the number of creative ways outside of his body, inside of his body, different release points that he's developed over the years. Yeah, and I think some of that has to do with uh, his ability to protect the basketball with his body, understanding uh, finishing angles and understanding how to place shot blockers on one side of the rim or the other. Um, you know, understanding what help's coming from, understanding the personnel that's on the side of the floor that he's driving on. Um, those are all things that go into being a great finisher as well because the situation dictates whether you finish it or pass it. Uh, but again, he's just got great natural touch. I mean, you know, it's one of those things, that the, you know, still the rules don't apply to this guy. Um, you know, his touch and feel is just superior. And, you know, at, at least once a workout, he'll do something with a basketball where you're just like, you know, that shouldn't have gone in, but it did. And and you just kind of, you just shake your head because he just has that kind of control over the basketball. But but controlling his body and, again, being vertically stacked in his core, not allowing himself to get into flexion or extension when he's driving, uh, that has a big piece of it as well because he's able to take that contact. Uh, we've actually started teaching how to utilize the contact to help you slow down. So, you know, being able to go to full speed, but creating controllable contact, uh, not only to help you slow down, but also to control the shot blockers, to ground the shot blockers. We talk about nailing the shot blockers on the ground with contact. And, and you do that by creating controllable contact. And you got to be the first person that's doing the hitting. Uh, he's really embraced that. And then uh, you know, we started really working hard on that about five years ago, five, six years ago. He embraced it and he's just taken it to a whole nother level of creativity. Um, and, uh, and it's something we still work on now. We have a lot of footwork drills we do around the basket that, you know, you could draw some parallels to the mic and drills. It's, it's, it's something that we do. It's not the mic and drill, but. We have a series of, of late jabs, late jabs and Euro steps that we work on every day, just like a big guy used to work on a mic and drill every day. We have a, a series of footwork patterns that we work through every day that are designed to help him control shot blockers and put shot blockers heads on one side of the rim or the other, uh, understanding where he wants to finish and, and understanding the reads and, and where his head's got to be in relationship to the corner of the backboard and the rim as to which finish we use. So it helps to have a really intelligent player. And it helps to have a guy that's extremely detailed. And when you have that, um, you know, you your only limitation is how deeply you're willing to dive into and in, in immersing yourself into helping this guy get better. And it's something you've got to spend a lot of time on every day. Well, it's really hard to coach a player at that level, but it's also a lot of fun for you, isn't it? Because you can really, really challenge yourself to come up with new ways to challenge him. Yeah, it's fun because it's... Um, you don't really have a lot of limitations. Um, the only limitations we have is we can't be all that creative with the dunks we work on. So, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> our, 
he likes to finish every workout with a couple of dunks and that's great, but it's not something we spend much time on. And, um, so that's really our only limitation outside of that. We can do pretty much anything and we can, we can force. I mean, th there's also been some times where I've put some games together. I've designed some drills and things before a workout and I'll kind of read through it. And I'm, you know, I'll kind of say to myself, well, that that's impossible, but we'll let him try it one time. And of course, you know, normally by the second or third time he tries a drill, he, he beats it. So, um, there are things that, that, that just don't look right on paper, just don't sound right when you put them down. But, um, he always seems to find a way relatively quickly to make it look like he's done it his entire life. And, uh, that kind of frustrates you because, you know, I kind of look at the workouts as me versus him, you know, the, there, there've been a few drills that I've created that, that he hasn't been on the master yet. I kind of count those as wins, but, um, he has a whole lot more wins than I do. So uh, I don't know if I'm being creative enough or difficult enough, but uh, he wins a lot more than I do for sure. Coach, I know your Instagram at Brandon Payne. I mean, I follow it and uh, you know, it's, it's been a lot of fun to uh, follow you and uh, even more fun to talk to you. And then the other part that uh, I just want you to talk about is uh, this underrated tour. Uh, when I heard about it, I thought this is a really cool concept. Uh, and obviously it really aligns with you and Steph Curry. So can you talk about both those things? Yeah, it's something that Steph and I started talking about years ago, and it, we just kind of seen it come to fruition here in the past few years. Obviously, last year, COVID, uh, or a couple of years ago, COVID kind of disrupted things for us, but we got it restarted in, in August of 2021. And, you know, it, for us, it's, it's an opportunity that we give to players that are three-star rated or lower uh, to come and compete. And we're, we're trying to find that next guy that's kind of like Steph that was a little bit underrated uh, coming out of high school, a little bit, uh, a little bit overlooked and guys are late guys and girls that are late developing. Uh, and, we, and we go to four regional cities around the country and we select a team of eight players from each regional stop. So we go, and we have two days of competition and, and we select uh, the best team, uh, not necessarily the eight best players, but the best team that represents uh, that particular region. And, and we make sure we have some shooters. We make sure we have some, you know, dominant lead guards and a big and a stretch four. We try to, we have a format that we like to put them in so that they get to the, the final stop in the Bay area and they compete for the underrated national championship. And, um, it's a really neat thing. And, and this year, the cities we have, we have a, a team from Washington, DC, a team from Chicago, a team from Dallas and a team from LA, uh, boys and girls coming to compete. And, and we'll do that, uh, the first weekend of April. We're really looking forward to it. And then we, we plan on really expanding that underrated concept into younger, uh, you know, the ninth and 10th grade kids. We, and then from there, we plan on even expanding even further school and with teams, things like that. So it's a big project for us. It's something that um, it's something that we're looking forward to and, uh, and to growing in the next uh, five, 10 years. Well, it's stayunderrated.com. Uh, go look it up. It's really cool stuff. And uh, Brandon Payne on uh, Instagram, definitely a must follow for everyone. So, yeah, Coach, at, thanks yeah, for your uh, Yes, at Coach Brandon Payne. Thanks so much for sharing the game with no us. No problem. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Basketball Podcast. Learn more from some of the best coaches in the world at immersionvideos.com. At immersionvideos.com, our unwavering commitment to you is to offer the tools necessary for you to be an outstanding coach who values learning and seeks to evolve. If you're a better coach now than you were yesterday, we've done our job, and so have you. The goal is to focus on authentic sharing of resources you can use to help your players and teams improve. Drills, tactics, techniques, philosophies, practice design, and so much more will be shared from numerous coaches, including Nate Oates, Doug Novak, Aaron Fern, Dave Smart, 
and so many more to come. Go to immersionvideos.com now to check out all the products and follow at Immersion Videos on Twitter to keep up to date. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the basketball podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things basketball immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.